Support for WERU comes from Village Soup and the Republican Journal, providing the communities of Waldo, Knox, and Hancock counties with news, information, ideas, events, goods, and services on newsstands Thursdays and on the web at waldo.villagesoup.com. Just a few seconds before 4 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online at WERU.org. Healthy Options with your host, Rhonda Feynman, is up next. Good afternoon. I'm Rhonda Feynman here at our new time, my first show at 4 o'clock. I'm excited to be here. Glad you're joining me. This is the Healthy Options Program. Our guest today is Miriam Warman. Dr. Warman is a professor of biology at William Patterson University of New Jersey, where she directs the research laboratory in microbiology, where she studies bacteria on environmental surfaces. Professor Warman is an expert in bioethics and a pioneer in biotechnology education. She developed and directed one of the first biotechnology programs worldwide. She's also an award-winning scientist journalist, publishing over 200 articles on topics in science and health, and she has written extensively on biotechnology, genetics, and medical ethics. Professor Warman's book, The Handbook, as in hand, comma, book, <laughs> Surviving in a Germ-Filled World, makes the case for washing our hands to reduce the risk of infectious disease. The handbook presents the history, religious, and cultural roots of hand washing, how scientists discovered that germs cause disease, the science behind hand hygiene, and the shocking truth that many people, including healthcare, including healthcare workers, do not wash properly. Professor Warman offers tips to improve hygiene to stay healthier at home, work, school, and most importantly, in healthcare facilities where poor hygiene can be deadly. Dr. Warman is with us today by phone to discuss simple yet effective techniques to reduce our exposure to infectious disease and stay healthy. Dr. Warman was on Healthy Options and she was a guest here last February. And uh, we're happy to have her back. We've asked her back for her perspective and ad advice due to the current situation with coronavirus and influenza. Welcome back to Healthy Options, Professor Miriam Warman. So good to talk with you again. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very pleased to join you, and unfortunately we have this serious topic to talk about, but uh, I think we have a lot to, to, uh, to, to talk about here. I know. Um, first of all, uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of specifics, right, ways that we can stay healthy, and I do want to um, just start with a preface, and I, I do this with all of the conversations we have when we're talking about illnesses that uh, can be that are transmittable either by ticks or by humans and by each other this is information that you can use immediately and it's not to be alarmist but it is to be realistic so as uh, i know a lot of people are, are freaking out <laughs> to be quite honest about the uh, coronavirus and the flu um, but probably more the coronavirus and we'll get into that in a few minutes but just take a breath everyone Let's settle in. There are going to be some good things that we can do to help keep us all healthy and safe. Absolutely, uh, Rhonda. Um, I think that uh, there's no call for panic, of course, but uh, the idea is to become more aware of how to be healthier with regard to germs 
and uh, just to be cautious about certain behaviors that you can um, be careful about that can keep you healthier. So you've written a whole book that uh, everybody should be quoting. We're hearing about hand washing everywhere now. You're just such a so ahead of the curve, Dr. Warman. <laughs> yeah, I've been talking about ha uh, hand hygiene for years now, and I guess the good thing, the silver lining, is it seems like people are beginning to listen, and they're beginning to incorporate some of these changes, which are simple things you can do to keep the germs at bay and to keep yourself healthy and your family healthy. So you've already written about the coronavirus. You did something for Bottom Line Health. Um, uh, can Maybe you can get us up to speed about what you know about this as a scientist and uh, the research that you're doing, not necessarily on the virus itself, but uh, relating to us staying healthy. Well, this situation seems to be very rapidly moving and changing really day by day. Uh, but the basic issue is that the coronavirus is now spread throughout the world. So it is, I think, considered a pandemic. Uh, most of the cases in the United States are people who came from other places. So they're returned travelers. But we are beginning to hear about spread within the community from person to person in certain communities. And it's still very, very um, uh, few cases compared to our population. So there are some reports in California and Oregon and Washington State and, and New York where there is evidence for community spread. Um, but uh, we really do have a very low number of cases, but we do have a high awareness that it is a public health emergency and we need to take certain actions to keep the population safe and to keep our families safe. And there are simple things that we can do to reduce the risk of being exposed to all, all germs, all um, types of pathogens that are germs that cause disease. Um, and so uh, hand washing is really the first level of defense. And we've always said that, and it's not new, but people are beginning to take it seriously. So let's talk about how to properly wash our hands. I'm seeing statistics here, and I know things are in your book. Perhaps 30% of people don't wash their hands after using the restroom. That's uh, how bad uh, um, people, even who are doing it, don't know how to do it properly, or food service or doctors not washing, washing properly. Let's, let's uh, I know we're, we're on radio, but let's see if we can have a, uh, a little bit of an of a in-service about hand washing. Um, the uh, best way to wash hands is with warm water and soap at a sink. So if you have access to that, you should be using it on a regular basis. You do need to scrub with soapy water for about 20 seconds. And that, they say, is the, the uh, amount of time it takes to sing the happy birthday song twice. But twice. the, the um, amusing, let's see if we can find some things to uh, smile about. On the Internet, there are a lot of people putting up different types of popular songs that exactly. you can hum or sing along with your hand-washing routine so that you're not walking around with happy birthday in your head, you know, the earworm of that song over and over again. So people are trying to um, uh, find you know, uh, more pleasant ways to think about these, um, these behaviors that we really do have to adopt. 
So, yes, people are, are, are singing Prince tunes, Beyonce. Uh, people are writing their own. There's a fantastic song coming out of Vietnam where they have taken this very, very seriously, being located where they are, and have actually been successful with their, they have a video with a really great little pop tune that, that uh, kids are even uh, using on uh, a TikTok account to create a dance routine to. Um, so you can uh, make this your own. Right? We can. Yeah, yes, definitely. I think that's very helpful in terms of public awareness. Uh, the more that you can have people talking about it, maybe singing about it, and um, teaching it certainly to children and to adults, who uh, many of whom seem to have forgotten that from childhood, you know, the whole idea of, of hand washing. Um, and if you make it uh, a little bit entertaining and you can smile uh, through this serious issue, then it's more likely that people will act and will do the, the proper thing. So, so kids, try this at home. That's what we're going to say uh, today. That's, the, that's the, uh, the operative word. Yes, and the parent's <laughs> responsibility, of course, is to explain to the children why it's important, but you also want to make it fun, especially for the smaller children who yeah. are really just beginning to learn the importance of hand washing. Yes, everybody over five, yeah. All the kids amongst us, right, okay. So I want to talk a little bit, um, I want to talk about when we take what it is to wash our hands. Uh, as a healthcare practitioner, um, so you, you know, we have our, the palms of our hands and we can rub those together. Then we can use one hand to go in between the fingers of the other hand, so that's a, 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 that'll be part of your uh, singing options. Then we can put our thumb make a little fist with, let's say, our left hand and put the right thumb in there and move that around, and then the right hand with the left thumb, all right? That's right. And, yeah. then, and then you can, uh, like, uh, two hands uh, grasping each other, like you're making a, uh, a, a, a fist with holding both hands. Mm -hmm. So you're also getting your wrists. We're saying the wrists and the thumbs are often forgotten. So uh, how about that? We've got the palms. We've got one hand on the top of the hand with between the fingers the right. left hand between the the other hand between the fingers the thumbs and the backs of the hands don't forget the that was the backs of the hands, of the hands going okay. uh, okay. yes you see we're yeah. radio we have to be specific yeah thank you dr yeah, you just need to cover all the surfaces don't forget in between the fingers don't forget your thumbs yeah when i would come home from school uh, my father would say he was really the hand washing king of, of his generation he would say go wash your hands up to your elbows. There you because go. There is something to be said for that, especially if you're a child and, you know, you get into everything. And so I would pull up my sleeves and they'd always get a little wet and so on. Uh, <laughs> but that might be very good advice. Now, uh, of course, it's wintertime, so we're all wearing long sleeves. So wash your hands thoroughly, uh, palms and backs and between your fingers and your thumbs and so on. Um, and the 20 seconds. And then rinse them off well so that all the germs go down the drain. That's really where they're going. That the soap breaks the um, attachment between these microbes and your skin, and they will be flushed down the drain. And then when you dry your hands, if you're in a public place, use paper towels if they're available and throw them right away. If they have hand dryers, I have a whole section in my book about these jet dryers. They're and pretty how scary. They Spray the germs all over the bathroom. 
they really broadcast by by uh, the action of the fan. So I'm not a I'm not a fan of that type <laughs> of fan. And uh, and uh, what I do also carry some tissues in my pocket. So if there's nothing available, I might use the tissues. And on your way out of a public restroom, you should do what you can to not touch that doorknob. Um, what I do is I take a paper towel. I use it to open the doorknob on my way out. And I noticed that within, you know, in the past couple of years, other people have figured that out as well. So take that in, everybody. All right. Uh, yes, right. not there to touch. There are things you can do. In, in, when you're out in the public, you know that people have touched those surfaces. And so there are things that you can do to reduce your touching of those surfaces. And if you did touch them, then wash your hands and dry them properly and uh, try not to recontaminate them right away by touching those parts, areas in the bathroom that, that could have germs. So what do we know about hand sanitizing liquids? The alcohol-based hand sanitizers really do work. They kill uh, most of the germs that we uh, need to be concerned about, but not all. There are some viruses that that doesn't kill. But apparently, coronavirus is uh, uh, is killed by the alcohol and alcohol-based hand sanitizers. So if you don't have access to soap and water, and there are plenty of times during the day when you don't, you can if you can carry a small uh, container of hand sanitizer, then you can um, cleanse. You're not actually cleaning your hands, but you can decontaminate them. You can kill much of the germs that are on your hands. Uh, and in order to do that properly, you really need to know, to use enough of the hand sanitizer to coat all the surfaces, front, palms, and backs of hands, between your fingers, your thumbs, um, with that hand sanitizer. So that's, you know, a little, a little uh, palm full of it. And then you need to let it air dry because if you wipe it off, then you're really um, reducing its effectiveness. But if air dries then you have the full power of the alcohol. So I don't know um, about your neighborhood, but I know here in parts of mid-coast Maine, um, there are no, uh, there are no um, alcohol uh, wipes and such to be found. It's, uh, th- there's been a, a rush. People are, uh, are, are doing that. Uh, taking that seriously and uh, it's hard to find um so i'm wondering about people making their own uh are you familiar with any recipes i have one right here but i don't know um what you know about that if, if yes, you know i i actually have something also up online about making your own hand sanitizer um first of all you have to find alcohol if uh if right. if, if that's gone from the pharmacy shelves then you don't have the most important ingredient. But I think there are probably still some bottles available yes. of alcohol. There are different kinds of alcohol. There's uh, ethyl alcohol and isopropyl alcohol, and they're both very effective. But yet when, you, uh, when you look at the bottle, you have to look at the percentage of alcohol in that particular solution. Um, many of the bottles that are sold in drugstores are 70% alcohol, and that's very effective as long as it's Above 60%, it will kill bacteria and viruses very effectively. 
Uh, there are some that you can buy that are 91% or 99% alcohol. If you want to make your own hand sanitizer, you should start with those. The higher one. The higher one. It's, it's at least 90% because you're going to add something to it to, um, uh, you know, to counteract the drying effect and to be a little bit kinder to your skin. So you can, if you can get the 90-plus percent alcohol, you can add, uh, take two parts of alcohol and one part of aloe vera lotion or aloe vera um, solution. Mix that together, and you can put in something, a little perfume, something that smells nice if you like, but really it's not necessary. And you've got hand sanitizer. Now, it's not exactly the same as the commercial one. It might not be as creamy or jelly, but it will do what you need it to do. You have to mix those together, huh? Um, you can mix them together. And by the way, you can just use straight alcohol, but it's going to dry out your skin. And that's why they add the aloe vera to it. The other thing you can do is use straight alcohol and then use some hand lotion. After your hands are sanitized, You, you it's okay to put hand lotion on them from a, a bottle of hand lotion that is your own and that is not contaminated with, uh, with anything else. Oh. Uh, to soften your skin and to, uh, you know, uh, moisturize your skin. That's okay. Oh, well, that's that's good to know. And, of course, uh, if you're using uh, one of the tubs, obviously don't share that, would you say? Uh, yes. That's, <laughs> if, you're, if there's something that is an open container that you're putting your fingers into, then you don't want other people to do that. If it's a squeeze bottle or a squirt bottle or a pump, um, you can share it, but just remember everybody's touching the outside of the bottle, and that area could be contaminated. So you take a little squirt, and you um, uh, put it all over the surfaces, rub it on the surfaces of your hand, and then don't touch the bottle again because, you know, a lot of people are going to be touching the outside of the bottle and the top of the pump. So we have a lot of uh, education uh, and, and new practices to, uh, to perfect here. I just want to say, if people have just tuned in, this is the Healthy Options Program on WERU Community Radio. I'm your host, Rhonda Feynman. We're speaking today with Professor Miriam Worman. She's the author of The Handbook, Surviving in a Germ-Filled World, which is an in-depth book on the subject of hand-washing to prevent disease. And yes, we are talking about hand-washing our hands and other strategies strategies to keep ourselves as healthy as we can during uh, pandemics and and, and every day. Um, So we are discussing about how to make your own hand sanitizer. do you see, not only can you sing any song you want for 20 seconds, you actually can have a, a, an, art, an arts and crafts project at home. This is just getting more and more interesting uh, as we continue talking, Dr. Worman. <laughs> oh, yes, sure, sure. You can, you can make it fun uh, and interesting rather than something to be nervous about. Um, Exactly. Where? What is your website? You, you mentioned that you have these recipes uh, on your online. Where? How can people access that? Just well, this was in a publication uh, that interviewed me recently. Ah. So I don't have that. Um, oh, okay. That URL right in front of me. Okay. Well, but we'll have that. We'll we'll be able to have the links to that when we're um when we put this up on the archives. How about that? We'll get some of that information in case people want to to look at that. So. Sure. Tell me, what 
I know uh, you have done a lot of work with surfaces, right, and how bacteria and such live on surfaces. Um, I know things are changing a lot every minute, with, the, and this is a virus that we're talking about when we're talking about the coronavirus. But what, what do we know that that is uh, in terms of living on surfaces or how things are, uh, are passed? Are, are you familiar with that kind of, of uh, question? In, in my research at William Patterson University, I study bacteria on various kinds of surfaces, like on um, fabrics and on cell phones and on money um, and, um, and, and on gloves. So I do know quite a bit about the transmission of bacteria, but also from what I understand about viruses and coronavirus in particular is that it can stay active for days and I've read up to nine days on a surface. So when you're going out of the house, um, you have to consider that everything out there has probably been touched by somebody. And if you're going to touch it, you might be picking up uh, different kinds of germs. Um, now, that being said, we do have very good barriers to infection. So most of the time, we don't get sick just by touching things out in the public. But with this particular threat, people are being very, very vigilant. So if you go out and you touch a doorknob or a handrail um, or um, a keyboard in your office that other people use, uh, or if, if you borrow somebody's cell phone, uh, anything that other people touch with their hands, you're going to be exposing yourself to something that can be transmitted from surface to surface, and it will get on your fingers, on your hands. And that's why everybody is warning and cautioning, don't touch your face until you have washed your hands. So you need to be what I call germ aware. Keep in mind the things that you've been touching and try not to transmit whatever you picked up on your fingers to your eyes, nose, or mouth because those are the main entry points for viruses to get into your body and in particular coronavirus is an upper respiratory virus. It appears to attack nasal tissue and lung tissue, and you don't want to make it easier for anything to get closer to your nose, or your mouth, or your eyes, because uh, you know those are the portals to infection. Um, so that's the story with surfaces and and hands. Uh, one thing I, I'll just mention now is is that the CDC Centers for Disease Control. It does uh, suggest that it's really more, per, uh, most of the cases are person to person, and the threats from surfaces are not as high as being around a person who has coronavirus. But there are risks involved because viruses can live on surfaces and then they can be transferred to other people. I was not aware of the nine days on a surface. That is quite a long time, isn't it? Yes, it is. And the experiments that we do with bacteria showed that certain bacteria can live for weeks on a surface and then transfer to, um, you know, another surface and still be viable and be able to um, infect. So, so we do know also, just to kind of go back in a little bit of, uh, of background, coronavirus, corona, that, that is a class of viruses like the common cold, what, right? And so there is a very specific new 
version of this that we're talking about. Is that is that correct? That's right. The other coronaviruses um, that were uh, health issues were um, SARS and MERS, uh, and that that goes back a couple of years. They were also quite contagious, and they were also more deadly. But they seem, you know, I, I, we're not really worrying about that now. Um, but this is a, a new uh, strain of the virus. They think it's new because it's new to us. That's why at, at the beginning they called it the novel coronavirus. Hmm. And that's why it poses a threat because we don't have immunity to this very new pathogen because uh, it hasn't been in the population. The other part of the threat is that we don't have a vaccine for it yet. Um, when we're talking about influenza, a lot of us get vaccinated. Really, everybody should get vaccinated if they can against influenza. Um, and so it gives us some immunity and it reduces the threat a bit. Um, sometimes they don't get all of the strains correct and, and their prediction about what's going to be the issue for the season I mean, is not 100% correct. But it does um, reduce the risk very much if you have a vaccine, but there is no vaccine yet for coronavirus. When they do develop it, then we can we can protect the whole population, as many people as can be vaccinated. But that's going to take at least a year, maybe 18 months. So so this is a new a new part of the COVID. That's a, a class because it looks like a, the corona of the sun, and it has nothing to do with corona beer, by the way. No, um, not at all. <laughs> and, um, um, and this particular version... Right. And we, none of us have uh, antibodies to it. And antibodies are what we what stimulates our immune system, right, to uh, to right. fight something off. Yes, that's correct. Right. And and as you said, it ten, this one goes to the lungs. So, for instance, uh, the SARS or the MERS with the severe acute respiratory or the Middle Middle East respiratory syndrome, they went they attacked a different part of our of our bodies right so this it's this is completely different well those are also up, upper respiratory but uh, uh, and i haven't looked at the details or compared them yeah. um, in detail to the other coronaviruses in terms of of how they um infect so i can't really answer all the questions about that sure but this one in particular does seem to target the lung tissue which is why the major symptoms are a fever, but also coughing and difficulty breathing. Um, those are the major symptoms. And, um, and and that's the other reason that people who have pre-existing conditions um, of various sorts, but in particular related to breathing, could be hit harder by the infection. And those are the individuals who end up in the hospital um, of course, there are uh, there are fatalities as well. Yes. So what we're talking about then is something that when you cough, I guess the I'm always thinking of the uh, the books written about the plague back in back in the day, <laughs> this, the 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 day, and then we called it the fog droplets of breath. And I think that's still appropriate, right? If someone's coughing on you or sneezing on you, that's not a good thing. So. 
Stay. There are micro droplets that you release when you cough or you sneeze, and it's propelled with a um, surprising amount of force. <laughs> so it can shoot out, and they say six feet. Six uh, feet? Six feet away. Ooh. So if you see somebody in public who looks sick, they say keep your distance at least six feet. Uh, you can't always do that if you're together with other people if you're in a public space. If you're um, in an airport, yeah, walk away from them. If you're sitting in a seat on the airplane, you're kind of stuck. And if somebody looks kind of sick, then you, um, you, know, you, you are going to be exposed to what's in the air around them. So it's really more potent. That's the person-to-person transmission that we're talking about more than surfaces. That's right. That's, that's the real, that's the that's real right. thing. Um, I think we're talking also, as we talk about hand washing and we talk about the uh, ways of keeping your hands, not touching your nose and your mouth and your eyes, um, aren't we, uh, we're also um, talking about uh, keeping a personal distance, as, as you said, and maybe it's a little hard to, to stay six feet apart. What do we know about masks? What do we know about that people are hoarding masks now, um, which doesn't seem very uh, effective, but what's, what's your opinion on that as a barrier? The surgical mask, it's a, it's a piece of like a fabric. It, it loops over your ears. Um, that provides a very minimal barrier and um, what the CDC is recommending is that people who are visibly ill, they should uh, self-quarantine. They really should stay home or they should be in the hospital. But if they have to go out, if you have to go out to the doctor, then the sick people should be wearing the mask to protect everybody else that they're going to encounter. Um, and under those circumstances, the mask kind of... Um, it acts as a barrier to keep your sneezes and coughs from shooting out and being broadcast in the direction of other people. So that's just a considerate thing to do that's being strongly recommended by the CDC. The CDC also says that healthy people don't really need to wear masks out in public because they're really not that effective, these surgical mask type masks. Um, There are lots of openings and germs can easily get around the, the sides of the mask. Right. Uh, and uh, even the material itself doesn't prevent viruses from passing through. It blocks big droplets. So if somebody like really sneezes in your face, when does that ever happen? When my granddaughter is sitting on my lap and she looks up at me with a big smile and then sneezes in my face, yeah, there you go. But it doesn't usually happen if somebody sneezes in your face. But um, that would be a good barrier to keep those big droplets from reaching your nose and your mouth. Uh, there are other types of masks that healthcare people are wearing, and they really need to have access to those. And those are the N95 masks that uh, block 95% of the micro droplets and, and, and the microorganisms, the, the germs. So those are more effective. They, they fit very snugly around the nose, over the nose and mouth. In fact, if you use them, you are required to get a fit check every year to make sure you know how to put it on and wear it hmm. and that it does have a tight fit. And it has a filter that 
truly is, um, prevents the entry of uh, very, very small particles, you know, as small as viruses. Um, so that's effective, but they're very difficult to get now. And really, we have to um, let the healthcare workers have access to whatever supplies there are because they're on the front line. They're right. really being exposed to people who are sick, some of whom may be carrying corona. Um, and and that uh, that um, upsets me that there that the supplies are, are low and so many of these important um, things that that could keep us healthy. But we do have to be considerate and realize that there are people who really really need it, and surgical masks are not really that helpful for healthy people. Right. So that's what the CDC is is saying. So. You um, you also write about ethics and medical ethics, and and you know we're talking of of course very very uh, nuts and bolts of things to do, but let's also put this in a public health ethical aspect of of this um, ethical reasons. Wash your hands as a community. Take care of each other. What's how how do you write about that or or instill the idea of being a good citizen? <laughs> <laughs> to those who are listening. Well, I teach the bioethics class at William Patterson. So last night we met and we talked about quarantine. Now, that's a bioethics issue mm-hmm. because it's like a personal responsibility, especially the self-quarantining when you're told you have to go home and sit at home for two weeks. And it's self-policed and it, re- it really depends on the ethics of the people who have been exposed to corona um, to uh, you know, to make sure that they uh, that, that they keep this and that they uh, follow through on it. Um, it may be very tempting to go out because you know you get um, uh, tired of being restricted, or you feel, oh, I have to go out. I'll just go out for a few minutes. But the ethical thing to do is to abide by that quarantine because there, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. So those individuals, by staying indoors, are protecting many other people, and that is one of the ethical questions that that we have been asking for thousands of years. You know, uh, can we impose something on uh, some people and and force them to do something they don't want to do, but the, uh, in the interest of protecting other people? Um, and you know, those are bioethics type of situations. And yes, we all should be responsible people and wash our hands appropriately and uh, cover your sneeze, not with your hand, but with a tissue, which then you dispose of properly, or with the inside of your elbow. And then later that night, when you take off your shirt, you should launder it because you just sneezed inside your shirt, right? Uh-huh. Uh, but those are all responsible things that ethical people should do. And I'm glad that we're having this type of conversation in, in our communities and uh, and thinking about what's the right thing to do to try to keep as many people healthy as possible. So the issue and the ethical issue of staying home when you're sick. Now, there are so many layers of this. Um, there is the economic. There is a, a, a people who, particularly in the United States, who don't make enough money if they don't work. Then they're not. They don't get paid leave or paid sick leave. And that's 
very, very dangerous. I was just reading an article, not only here, but about uh, people working in hospitals in London uh, where there are have been some cases, and they're the people preparing the rooms, preparing the quarantine rooms, um, and they were saying that they are not being paid the same scale as like the national health workers. These are people who are contracted out, and if they don't work, they can't pay their rent. So how they they're all saying we're going we're going to go to work even if we're sick. Now I don't think they realize how sick they would be, and they probably wouldn't be able to go to work. But the point is, this is what the con- another conversation is, and I think this is happening. And of course, this is another show to do. But the the whole when we talk about ethics, about how we provide the means that everyone would be able to do the right thing uh, by staying home and not putting themselves and their families in jeopardy financially, you know, as well as uh, as um, medically. Yes, that is definitely a topic for another show that ha- will have a lot of uh, political uh, implications and uh, you know, the idea that our um, society, our country, should be responsible for helping people out when they are sick. You know, we need to take care of everybody. And if you're sick and you have to be quarantined and you lose your salary, there there should be some way to make up for that so that people don't starve. Uh, you know, we do have a communal responsibility to each other to take care of each other through this very, very challenging time. And there are new challenges. This is a new challenge. Who would imagine that you would be told, go home and stay in your house for two weeks, and it might be more as things progress. We don't know. We don't really know what's around the corner. Um, But this is so disruptive to so many lives. And yet we have a personal responsibility, an ethical responsibility, to protect others if necessary. If if people have been exposed, you you really have to... um, do the right thing. And if they say quarantine, then you should quarantine. So for those people who have just tuned in, we are um, speaking with Dr. Uh, Miriam Warman, the author of the handbook, Surviving in a Germ-Filled World. We're talking about how to stay safe good techniques to stay safe and healthy and uh, protect yourself from the flu. And we should talk about that, the flu versus the coronavirus. We'll do that in a minute. And uh, I'm your host, Rhonda Feynman. This is Healthy Options on WERU. So let's jump into a a couple of of things. Um, And it's in your book as well, the the handbook, Surviving in a Germ-Filled World, about food handling. This you know, whether you're sick or not, um, how, what should we be doing about keeping each other safe and keeping ourselves safe uh, when we're talking about food and that kind of thing? Well, food handlers should always be careful about sanitation. Um, you know, there are uh, health codes that they are required to follow, but some of my research showed that food handlers um, mostly ignore uh, certain certain um, guidelines. For instance, one of our studies of uh, food vendors in New York City, you might say, oh, New York City, uh, <laughs> but, you know, um, street carts of food, food handlers in uh, New York City uh, vendors, uh, street vendors. Um, we, we did a study to see if they're doing the appropriate type of behavior with regard to hand hygiene. 
which means wearing gloves. And if you touch money, then you have to change your gloves before you touch the food. Uh, if you're not wearing gloves, you should be washing or using hand sanitizer before touching any type of food. And 98% of the time, they're not um, doing the appropriate behavior with regard to hand hygiene in this particular study. And then we replicated the study in New Jersey malls, the famous malls of New Jersey, you know. <laughs> and it's very, very similar. 97 to 98% of the food handlers don't use their gloves appropriately or they use bare hands. And if you're um, in a uh, running a food cart, you don't have soap and water. So really you need to be vigilant about it. So now I just went shopping in a very reputable supermarket. And I was thinking twice and three times about who prepared this food and um, you know how, how much can I trust it? And I'm gonna bring home this prepared food now. I guess I'll cook it and heat it up as hot as, as necessary and should kill the germ. But I'm thinking in ways that I hadn't, it hadn't really been in my consciousness to worry about these things. But all of a sudden we have this awareness about who's been touching my food, who's right. been touching this doorknob uh, because of the coronavirus and that threat. And it just seems more urgent. So this type of urgency does help people become aware. That's a good thing. It helps to encourage people to wash their hands and do proper hand hygiene. That's also a good thing. But it also makes people very anxious. And, um, you know, how worried should we be? I think we need to be cautious but not anxious. We need to be germ aware but not um, obsessive compulsive. And I think that would be a, sort of a moderate approach to staying healthy. So the five-second rule, Dr. Worman, mm -hmm. that brings us to the five-second rule. I don't. Yes, yes. The five-second rule it says <laughs> that if you drop food on the floor, if you can scoop it up before five seconds have passed, it's okay to eat. And no, that is not correct. Uh, you probably won't get sick. Most of the time, if it's in your house you know, and you drop something and you know how clean your floors are, most of the time you're not going to get sick because your, your floors aren't necessarily full of germs. Um, your hands are, but not as a... And also, um, you, your body has these barriers to protect you even if your food is contaminated. And by the way, all food is contaminated to a certain extent unless you have just taken it out of the boiling water, in which case it has been sterilized. But the minute you open the pot, it opens access to germs. So nothing is really sterile unless it's coming right out of the pot. Um, so our food isn't really sterile. Eating it off the floor is not a good idea, <laughs> especially if you're out in the public and you drop it on the, oh, on the floor in the airport or in the bathroom of, uh, of the football stadium. or There are places that are really horrendous that you never, ever, ever would want to eat food that uh, fell on that floor. Um, now, with small children, it's very hard to keep after them, but it's one of the good first rules to teach is don't eat food off the floor. That's a very good rule to, to try to teach your children <laughs> along with the hand washing. 
I think possibly we could uh, adapt some of the uh, cultural uh, uh, customs of some other countries, such as Japan, where everybody takes their shoes off. And oh, you're okay. using inside shoes. So the uh, idea of what you're tracking around your floor is different, perhaps. Yes. Yes. So my daughter, who is a mother of five children, ages one to ten. Oh, bless her heart. She Yes. She just <laughs> informed me, because I'm supposed to go there tomorrow night. She said, we're going to be um, keeping the rule about no outside shoes inside the house. So she had thought about that in the past, but now uh, she really is going to implement that as a rule. You take off your shoes when you come in the door. And then you either walk around, I guess, in socks or, or in slippers. Bring your slippers. Yeah, I'm going to bring slippers. <laughs> in, in Japan, they have everybody, even um, at hotels and, and uh, even in, at uh, different uh, more public places where you are given slippers. I was um, coming back uh, from Japan uh, and a, a couple of years ago. And I had to go through TSA, you know, their equivalent. And uh, they wanted me to take my shoes off, and they handed me a pair of slippers, which were brand new, by the way. So every traveler got a pair of slippers going through TSA. Because well, that's very considerate. It was. That's really nice. I yeah. know, because we do know that many, right, bacteria and probably viruses, when people are going through those uh, machines... Um, in their bare feet or in socks. That's that's a, a, a I would say a, probably a a a danger zone. What do you, Doctor Werman? Would you agree? I I will always wear socks if I'm going to be flying, because when you go through security, they almost always make you take your shoes off. So at least the socks are a bit of a barrier. And as you, uh, you know, as you scoot through the screening, uh, at least it's not your your bare skin, um, of the soles of your feet, that's touching where other people's feet have been. Uh, but, you know, in terms of the security screening, there are other issues. When they make you put all of your personal belongings into a bin, oh, along, along with your shoes, everything is like all together, your shoes, your cell phone, your purse, uh, everything is mixed together. Well, they can certainly be transfer of all so sorts of germs and dirt, from one surface to another. So um, one of the things that I try to do is I try to stash everything in my purse so that it's just the purse that comes into contact with the bin. But for people who don't carry a small bag, right, or a purse, uh, you may want to take along some Ziploc bags, like a, a quart or a gallon-sized Ziploc bag, because when you empty your pockets, you can put your wallet and your keys, and most importantly, your cell phone, into the clear Ziploc and then put it in the bin where everybody else's personal things have been. And that way your cell phone is not going to pick up germs and then you'll put it up against your face, right? Um, and your keys and your wallet, these are personal things you handle all the time. So that will at least be uh, um, one way to reduce the risk of transfer of germs from other people's personal belongings to your personal belongings as you go through security. Okay. We're also starting to bring our own personal pens everywhere. What do I've you been doing that my whole life, well, pretty much. Well, so have I, but no. But some people haven't. So now let's encourage people to bring your own pens. 
to offices, yeah. to the bank, to and voting. We were. I was discussing it with my uh, local uh, uh, voting clerk that uh, we had a big you know, Super Tuesday yesterday. And of course, if you're listening to this in a replay. Think about it for future voting experiences. We use paper ballots here where people use pens to fill in little ovals. Mm -hmm. And I said, so are you going to be providing hand sanitizer? And she said, I hadn't thought of that. And then she did. So we left our our area. Uh, You could could do that. Or, and we asked if we could, uh, my family asked if we could use our own pen. And these were not specific... uh, electronic things that needed to be a certain ink so we were able to use our own pen so all these things to think about that's very good advice and that is a very good point so when i'm in a supermarket i sign something you know a credit card receipt whatever or in a bank um i will try to avoid touching the public pen definitely and that's why i always have a pen or you know a pencil and a pen in my purse um, and it is a very, it's a very personal thing because you really touch it a lot with your fingers and everybody else does. Going back to the coronavirus, but I don't think we ever actually left it because I think everything that we're talking about is really all about all of these kinds of, uh, of ways of staying healthy. Um, is there a difference between the uh, coronavirus and the, and the flu, the influenza? What do we know is different or um, or the same or uh, in terms of infection, in terms of catching things? What, what do we know? Well, one of the things that um, perhaps we can appreciate more in light of this new virus is that influenza has been around a long time and it has been killing many, many people for a long, long time. Um, in this season alone, between October and February 22nd on the Centers for Disease Control website, they report between 32 and 45 million people have had the flu just in this season. And they estimate between 18,000 and 46,000 flu deaths. Oh. Wrap your mind around that number. You, you have to repeat that, uh, Dr. Worman. I think we really need to let that sink in. And by the way, we are talking about 2020. No, yes. Twen- yes. yes, 2019, from the fall of oh, 2019, 2019. Up to today, uh, from October, this, uh, this flu season, okay. from the fall through oh. now, this is what their estimates are. And they're it's based again. on a mathematical model that they use where they um, have a surveillance system uh, that looks at about 8% of the population, and then they extrapolate, but it's very uh, statistically sound. They say that there are a minimum of 30 million people who have gotten the flu and a minimum of 18,000 deaths. So we're talking about tens of thousands of deaths every single year from influenza. That is something that we are not talking enough about because there are really a, a lot of lives that are affected and a lot of people are uh, passed away because of influenza so um that's one difference is that the flu is with us every single year and kills a lot of people and we just kind of take it for granted oh yeah it's the flu but it's not oh yeah it's the flu if you get very very sick and then you have complications and those can go on 
to be fatal. Um, on average, about 8% of the entire population of the United States gets sick from the flu every season, every year. About 8% of us get, get the that's flu. That's a lot and of And that's people. symptomatic flu. That's where you really feel awful and you have to stay home from work. That's a lot of people. So that's one of the differences. Now we're talking about coronavirus. We're talking about um, how many deaths in our country, 50 or 60? I don't know what the current I'm not sure is. where we are in the U.S. In the 30s. Oh, well, I think in the U.S. it's much, it's it's, much, much it, less. It's less, but uh, yes, I think much, we're talking at least 3,400, 3, in the 3,000s in um, China. Yes, yes, but yeah. in the U.S., I think really it's under 10 deaths. I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, it keeps changing, so it's hard mm-hmm. to keep track of but um, we're talking about I think there was several thousand cases, maybe, of the uh, being diagnosed now with coronavirus, but a very low number of deaths in the United States. Um, now, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, even, because once um, uh, a, a, a pathogenic germ gets out and, and it's transmitted from person to person, it can increase geometrically like a lot more people every single day could have this virus so we don't know what the future is going to bring but the immediate threat now which is not really different from year to year is that tens of thousands of people are going to die in our country from the flu so we should always have been washing our hands and we should always have been vigilant about what we're touching and um, and sharing pens and, you know, little things like this to reduce the risk of flu, because flu is a killer too. So what I see, yes, that is very, very uh, well said and something for us all to think about, that this is not new about communicable diseases. It's just new in terms of this virus. And I'm seeing here uh, that there is something that says if five people are infected with the COVID-19, which is the coronavirus, two 2.6 people could be exposed. If five people have the flu, 1.3 people could could get it. So, you know, they're, they are talking about that a, a little bit. So it's, it's at this point, it's uh, not equivalent, but it's still certainly um, of concern. But It does seem, you know, again, it's very preliminary because preliminary. there's still a lot of information we don't have. But it does appear that coronavirus is more contagious than influenza virus. Um, And we we don't understand it yet, um, all of the mechanisms by which it infects. So, uh, again, there's a lot of information that that researchers are trying to learn about how this virus works and how to best reduce your risk for the virus. But there are enough things that we know about hygiene, basic issues with regard to hygiene, that we can do, we can make behavioral changes that are really quite simple, um, but they have to be learned. And, you know, some of them are just to try to keep track of what you've been touching when you're in the out and about. If you go in the subway or if you go in a bus or any public transport or if you even get gasoline and you pump it yourself, other people have touched that. So just keep that in mind before you eat or before you touch your eyes, nose, or mouth. Go wash your hands with soap and water and sing happy birthday to yourself and whatever song you want to sing. The song of your choice. For 20 seconds. <laughs> yeah. 
And yeah, so um, I have there's a, a science reporter, uh, Lori Garrett. Some people may be familiar with her. She's written wonder, uh, really incredible books such as The Coming Plague and such. So she's she covered the SARS epidemic in in China and Hong Kong, and she talked about her survival her survival kit. Uh, she never got it, and she wasn't worried, and she was interviewing people who had this vi- the virus. And she said, when you leave your home, wear gloves, winter mittens or outdoor gloves, and keep them on in subways, buses, and public spaces. Now, this is where this was very vigilant. I mean, very uh, many, many people in her, the areas that she were, was in had, these, had this, uh, this virus. If you're in a social situation where you need to remove your gloves, don't touch your eyes, face. No matter how much something itches, do not shake hands. Change your gloves daily. Masks are useless when you're worn outdoors and may not be very helpful even indoors. We've discussed that. Inside your household, remove all the towels from your bathrooms and kitchens immediately. Replace them with clean towels that have names of each family member on them and instruct everybody in your home to only use their own towels and never touch another family member's. And wash all towels twice a week. Be careful with doorknobs. If you share meals, do not use your personal chopsticks or utensils. That's important for us. And absolutely, all right, well, she's in an area where there were very exotic animals, so don't use, eat those. If the weather allows, open your windows. And if you're caring for anyone who's ill and running a fever, make sure they're wearing a mask. Wear your own mask. Wear latex gloves and... Um, dispose of them carefully uh, regularly so that was that was Lori Garrett's survival survival mode for the SARS epidemic do you think uh, we should adapt those here yes I have been preaching this for years and it's all in my book the handbook surviving in a germ-filled world Uh, what titles would be more relevant today right you want to survive in this germ-filled world um, but, yes, I also have lists of these types of uh, advice. Uh, yes, my you hand, do. I call them handy tips. She's That's on right. target 100%. Um, and I guess if I go out, maybe I would want to keep my gloves on more than I do. Um, I tend to, and you might be surprised by this, I tend to touch public surfaces if I have to. But then, again, I keep in mind, hey, you know, I've been outside. I'm, I'm definitely going to wash my hands before I eat. And before I touch my face. Well, there you go. That is, uh, I think, the final word on this. Um, we have been discussing how to stay healthy and from uh, the perspective of uh, hand washing. And we are, t- we, I want to just thank you very much, uh, Dr. Uh, Miriam Worman, who is a professor at. Uh, William Patterson University. She teaches biology, directs a research laboratory in microbiology, and has the all of those lists and everything we talked about in the handbook, Surviving in a Germ-Filled World. And um, we did focus on the, the uh, coronavirus and influenza, but I want to say there's even more information about general, overall ways to stay good health, stay healthy and uh, safe, in this new world. Thank you so much uh, for joining us again, Miriam Warman, Professor of Biology. All of this will be on archived and we will have all sorts of uh, links to all of this important information. 
um, when we put it on WERU Community Archives. I want to thank Amy Brown for engineering. I want to thank Petra Hall for her assistance in production. And just remember, keep washing your hands and keep yourself safe. Support for WERU comes from Easterly Wine.